0: get into the Word here this morning. We're finally uh, moving into a book and I'm going to be going once again, verse by verse, uh, through the Scripture. Uh, we're going through the uh, book of Galatians. Uh, Paul the Apostle is writing this epistle to these churches that he established most likely on his uh, first uh, journey and he is writing churches that were probably established in Iconium and Lystra and Derby and Pisidian Antioch. There's uh, some question as to exactly uh, what Galatia is being talked about here. Uh, we know that this is uh, the, the region of Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, and there is a northern region, there was a northern region, where there were Galatians who were ethnic Galatians. And then there were southern cities where it seems that Paul is writing to, who are a part of the province of Rome, a province called Galatia. And so he is writing to these churches, and he is—he's uh, shocked. In fact, he's—he's uh, he's a bit stunned at the fact that they are deserting the gospel quickly. So there are these two regions, and scholars debate over which region he was he was writing to. But we think, and again, we're not 100% sure, we think he's probably writing to this southern region. It's possible he's writing in 48, 49 A.D., Again, scholars debate over the date. It seems that the Jerusalem Council had not happened yet at this point, and uh, he doesn't mention it anywhere in the epistle. And so the question is, if he hasn't mentioned it, then perhaps this writing of this epistle is before the council at Jerusalem, for surely he would have mentioned it. But he's writing these churches that he had established, and he is stunned Um, In fact, he seems to be shocked that they are so quickly deserting the gospel. In fact, they they have been taught the gospel that he has given, this gospel of grace alone, through faith alone. Martin Luther loved this epistle. This was his go-to book. And all of a sudden there were Judaizers, there were legalists who were coming in to the churches in this region, and what we would call today, as we said, Turkey. And they were trying to say, listen, it's not only by grace that you're saved, but you've also got to add some things to it. And uh, you've got to add things like circumcision. If you really want to be a genuine Christian, men need to be circumcised. And they were trying to add different parts of the law, different parts of the Mosaic law to these believers, and Paul was taken aback by this he didn't like it and so there's this question of authority who are they going to listen to it's interesting in our day we have uh, we have issues in our uh, nation with a, a sense of unholy independence. in fact we've gotten to the point in our nation and we continue to descend to where everyone is doing what is right in his or her own eyes. And uh, this is becoming a greater problem. We see chaos all over this nation in so many different ways. And of course, because people don't know Christ, instead of turning to Christ, instead of turning to the obvious answer, which is God, people are turning away from God and they're turning to things like government. They're saying the government needs to answer our questions. We need to put a government in charge that's going to take care of all the problems and all the ills of society, and uh, they're going to help us out. Of course, that's not going to work, but we see this uh, same spirit even in the church of America today, where there's a, a problem with biblical authority. In fact, it's amazing how many people go to church that do not read their Bibles, And so they've heard this, and they've heard that, and um, even preaching and teaching is getting further and further away from just the plain exposition of the Scripture. And so we have people that are doing this and doing that and thinking this and thinking that. In fact, it's interesting, you get even a group of pastors together. I heard one pastor saying that he was with a, a group of pastors, and they were talking about, the church, and how a church, a local church, should be set up. And he said it was interesting at this uh, roundtable discussion that not one pastor opened his Bible and said, this is what the Bible says about this. And so they were sitting around, they were kind of pontificating about, well, I think this, and I think this, and we need to do more of this, and so on and so forth. And there is a there is a real problem uh, with with authority. We even have people church hopping has become even almost kind of a joke in our society. Person doesn't like this church, he or she then hops to this church, and then they hop to this church. And we have that all over uh, the nation. People uh, get easily offended say, well, I don't like this, or I don't like that, and instead of going to the Word of God and comparing things to what the Word of God says, they say, well, I heard this, or I heard that, and I think this, and I think that, just like those pastors were doing. And if the pastors are doing it, uh, then surely the congregations are doing it as well. And so this question of authority. So if you have chaos in the nation, uh, which we are having more and more of, surely we are going to have chaos within the church. And, of course, there have been people who have been burned. When we talk about authority, we're not talking about unhealthy authority. When we talk about leadership within the church, we're not talking about unhealthy leadership. We are are actually talking about a church and leadership that is submitted to the Word of God. It's almost as if we need a campaign today, and maybe we do, a campaign that just simply says, and hopefully it's motivated by the Holy Spirit, that says, I'm going to get into my Bible and I'm going to read the whole thing from cover to cover. It'd be interesting on what would happen with even uh, the unity of the church. I remember D.A. Carson talking about uh, unity within the church. He was saying that, you know, this church believes that and this church believes that. And you get all these different uh, disagreements and problems within the church. But he said, it's amazing. You can bring together a group from uh, different backgrounds, even theological backgrounds, backgrounds. And if you put them in a room together and you say, now I want you to study the word of God. What does the word of God say on this matter? And and, uh, he did this for different writings and studies that they were doing. It was amazing. It wasn't always a complete consensus on every little thing. But it's amazing how much unity we can get when we actually get back to the text and get back to apostolic authority. And so when Paul is writing uh, this epistle to these churches in Asia Minor he's concerned he he's concerned he he wants us to know God's word he doesn't want us to just come in and and know little bits about it he wants us to really understand the arguments of scripture he wants us to dig deep within the bible He wants us to be able to compare it to teaching that is infiltrating the church that is unhealthy and unwise. And he wants us to look and he wants us to be able to discern. And the way we're going to be able to discern these things is by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we know who to listen to? Because we have all sorts of different biblical teachers out there, all sorts of uh, so-called pastors and evangelists. And the question is, who, who are we going to listen to in this age? Because when we turn on the TV, we see this. And when we get something in the, in the mail or we turn on the Internet, we see something completely different. And we're trying to sort all of this out. So Paul is, is grieved. He's concerned as he looks at these churches. And what's amazing is these churches had not been in existence for a long time. So he establishes the churches. You'd think with Paul as the leader, these things would would go well for a long time. You have an apostle in charge there. Surely it's going to work out. But he has to leave that region. He's there in his first missionary journey, and he leaves that region. As we talked about in recent times, he commends these churches to God. And it's amazing in church after church, not only in this uh, region of uh, Galatia, this province of Galatia, things are starting to unravel. But you notice this in a lot of the different churches that he's writing to. And so wherever God's gospel is established, Satan begins to attack. The enemy is real. he's is a, a real being. When we talk about the devil, we're not talking about just some kind of force that's out there, you know, evil and good. We're talking about a real malevolent being, somebody who is filled with hatred for Christ, hatred for the church. Listen, I I was uh, in El Salvador uh, last year, and I was thinking as I was talking to these kids, they're not going to remember anything I say other than the word of God. And by the way, that's true of any sermon. So you go, okay, what in the word of God is a truth that we need to plant? You have one or two shots with these kids. What do you say? And so as I was standing before this group of students speaking about the Bible, first thing I said is Satan hates you. He hates you. And he has a plan for your life to destroy it. And uh, there is a a real battle. There is a real spiritual battle that is going on over churches and over individuals. This is not make-believe. This is not little lesson time. This is reality. This is... There are real angels that have been created by God, real beings that are of the light and of the truth that worship God and serve him day and night. And then there are fallen angels, which we call demons, evil spirits. By the way, while we're on this issue, we can talk about, you hear people talk about ghosts and different spirits and Listen, there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of righteousness and there's the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. And so anytime somebody is having some kind of spiritual experience, uh, it's not coming from some third neutral realm. There's, There's no such thing as, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost. And uh, it's not grandma, come back from the dead. And we hear all sorts of strange things. When we, when we are talking about uh, spiritual realities and we're talking about spiritual beings, we're talking about real demons, real angels. And there's a, a spiritual war that is constantly going on between these two realms And we overcome, the scripture tells us, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our our testimony. And Paul Paul understood this. Paul understood that there was this spiritual realm. He, He understood that it wasn't putting a few principles in place and then leaving the people and saying, God bless you, hope everything works out here, the end. When he writes this, letter, you can feel the passion. In fact, the way he goes through the introduction, he doesn't have any compliments. Notice when we go through this, usually when you're going through one of these epistles, it's like, um, you know, you're doing so well in this, or I know of your abounding love, or, or whatever the case is, there's some kind of compliment. But here with the churches in Galatia, there is no such compliment. It's just getting right to the point. Why? Because he is so concerned. The gospel here is at stake. People who had understood the gospel of grace are now becoming confused. Is it really grace through faith alone? Is that really all it is? Or is it grace plus something? Do I have to do a little something in order to gain the favor and the merit of God? And this is, this is the battle that is raging. And so the way that he fights, as he fights with every one of his spiritual battles, is he fights with the truth, the truth. But we live in this age where we have this, this issue with authority and even apostolic authority. We as, we as believers, we as Christians are still, even though Peter's not with us in the flesh today, Paul is no longer with us in the flesh. We are still under their teaching. We are still under under their authority as apostles who were commissioned by Christ to teach the truth. Peter, if you flip over in your Bibles to Second Peter, talks about this issue with authority, and we're going to see it again in Galatians. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 10. says so this, he's talking about the ungodly Peter is in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10, and he spe- says, and especially those who indulge, in the lust of defiling passion, and here it is, and despise authority. These false teachers despise authority, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. By the way, Jude echoes this same kind of teaching. Jude and Second Peter, extremely similar in its teaching. So when Paul comes and he has these uh, different issues with what's going on in the churches of Galatia, he wants to establish his authority. Who is he? And it's amazing. He doesn't come dressed in robes and like a pope with a word like this and a finger in the air. That's not how he addresses the churches. In fact, he comes often with fear and trembling. The way that the apostles led was by giving up their lives for the truth, by constantly speaking the truth in love. So you had these false teachers. They were saying, look look at Paul. Look how weak he is. Look at his, his speaking abilities. Look at the things that he says. And they're trying to impress The Jews, look at us, we're we're the right teachers. They were the professionals. And look at poor, meek, mild Paul. Sure, he is bold in some of the things that he writes, but when you look at him, he's really not much to look at. So who are you going to really listen to? So Paul, in addressing these different issues... Galatians chapter 1, if you flip there, he authenticates his ministry by telling us exactly who he is. And he says this, Paul, an apostle, that is one who has been commissioned by God on a mission sent from the Lord, sent on a spiritual mission. Paul, an apostle. So the first thing he says is, I'm an apostle. Again, we need to hear the spirit of this. How how is he saying this? He is saying it with great boldness and great authority, but he's also saying it with gentleness and with the spirit of Christ. He's simply stating the fact that he is an apostle. And he says this, not from men nor through man, that is, my commission didn't come from just a group of men you know you can have you can have somebody who is a pastor or a kind of spiritual leader and you can have them show you all sorts of different certificates and documents that they got ordination certificates credentials, all these different things that they might get. But if they're not called from God, all of those things are simply pieces of paper. So uh, a person could go around and say, well, I have this paper to show who I am. And it's interesting. There are even people today who will do things like that. They'll get on the Internet and they'll type up how to become a pastor or how to become some kind of spiritual leader, and they'll pay a little bit of money, and they'll get a spiritual certificate that says they are official. Uh, A man can wear a collar, and he can go around with a little white collar and have everyone call him father and love greetings in the marketplace and not be commissioned by God. A man can wear a three-piece suit into church and have the finest clothes. He can wear some kind of spiritual robe if he wants to. He can do all sorts of different outward things and be commissioned by men. Paul comes along and says, listen, I wasn't commissioned by men. How are we going to know that, Paul? Through his writings, through his life, and through the power of the Holy Spirit as we're listening to this as you're a believer you're you're looking at him and you're saying he's in line with Christ speaks like Christ the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that there is something going on because it can get awful confusing so how do we how do we know the difference between an apostle who's a true apostle and a false apostle well we look at their life are they are they endeavoring to live a life that is according to Christ? Or are they leading people into licentiousness and into sin and saying, sin's okay, it's no big deal, we don't need the cross, you can do whatever you want. In fact, this is exactly what Second Peter and Jude are talking about. This is what they're addressing when they're talking about false teachers. Oftentimes they're immoral. And just do whatever they want and they accept sin. And so Paul comes along and he is he's different in his life. He's different in his message. He doesn't just say things that tickle people's ears and make them feel good simply about themselves. But he says things that are of the truth. He says things that are straight from straight from Christ. And, of course, as we listen to these things and we hear these things, we can hear the ring of truth in them because they are coming straight from God himself. They are coming from the Holy Spirit himself. And so when he's talking here, he says, I'm I'm not commissioned by men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, who are you commissioned by? Where do you get your credentials from? Where do you get your licensing from? Who says that you can say these things? Who who says that you can write these things? And he says, I got them straight from God. My commission comes from God. This is why you should listen. Ephesians uh, chapter 2 tells us that the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets. And this is why we say there's not this revolving door of more and more apostles. The foundation of the church was only laid one time. It was laid once. And now that those apostles are gone, there are no more apostles like them. So if a foundation is laid once and the apostles came once, the apostles did their ministry, they are gone. The foundation has been laid the rest of the edifice is being built and you don't start with concrete a concrete foundation and then go to a structure and then go to a concrete foundation on top of it the foundation is laid once but there were certain qualifications for who an apostle would be if you turn over to Acts chapter 1 there are different qualifications just a couple of them but these are the main qualifications of an apostle The main qualifications of apostle we can find in Acts chapter 1, verse 21. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. So they are trying to figure out in the early church who is who is going to take Judas's spot, one of the 12. So they say in verse 21, this becomes the answer. So one of the men who have accompanied us all during, all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So the apostles are looking for another apostle, and they say he has to have traveled with us. He has to have known the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now some people might say, well, wait a second. Paul wasn't a witness to the resurrection. He wasn't around. He was alive, of course, but he didn't actually walk around with the Lord. But Paul's answer to that would be, oh, yes, I did have a a revelation of Christ. I saw him. He revealed himself to me on the road to Damascus, and he commissioned me to be an apostle. And so when Paul is speaking here about his authority, he is He is setting here the parameters of what his authority are and why the church should listen to him. He says that he is an apostle and that he is an apostle not commissioned by men, not called by men, but called by God. But it's interesting, he says in verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me. In other words, there are people within the church who confirm his call. So he is called by God to be what he is. He's called to be an apostle. He has been called by God to even write scripture, the scriptures that you and I are holding in our hands today. He's called by God, but his call has also been seen and has been witnessed to by brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, we can even say, even though we don't travel with Paul, that you and I are witnesses of his call because we hear the ring of truth. We know that these are God's words. As we read the Bible, we are convinced. Surely Paul is an apostle. We didn't see his experience on the road to Damascus, but we know it's true. How do we know it's true? Because the word of God says it's true. So there's this confirming aspect of the church. And so a man says he's called by God. And in this case, this man is called by God to be an apostle. uh, But it's also ratified. It's also attested to by the church. So when a person comes and says that he has some kind of calling, he needs to have a calling from God. But if he has a calling from God and nobody else is recognizing it, he's not called. And this is why we have this is why we have the church. I remember uh, Wayne Grudem uh, uh, telling a story. He said that he was praying over somebody who asked him to pray for me. This guy came up to him and said, I'd like you to pray for me. I'm going to be starting a church. I'm going to be starting a a church, and um, I'd like you to pray over me that it goes well, and so on and so forth. And Grudem says, as he began to pray, he said he sensed something wasn't quite right. So he stopped. He stopped, and he asked, he asked this young fellow. He said, um, "You're going to be starting a church." He said, "Has has anybody else uh, borne witness to this? Has anybody else come alongside you, or a a group of people, or other people have come alongside you? Again, it doesn't have to be a denomination or." a certain church group, but there have to be some other believers who say, yes, we see evidence of a of a call here. And uh, the young fellow said, oh, no, he said, actually, I was in my last church. I just, I recently left it because when I told them of my plans, they said, no, you're, uh, we, we don't see that. We're not going to commission you to be a, a, a pastor. And so he left the church and Grudem simply explained to him exactly what we're seeing here with Paul. This isn't just some guy who comes in and goes, I've been commissioned by God. Everybody listen. That's not how this works. That's not how it worked with the apostle Paul. That's not how it works with anybody else who's been called by God. So there is a there's a call by God, but there's also the witness and the attestation of other fellow believers. And so we could even say I'm with Paul. We're not talking about being divisive. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos and so on. But when we say I'm with Paul, we're saying I'm with the apostolic tradition. I'm with those who have been commissioned and called by Christ. I'm with Peter. Maybe that's a question we need to be asking ourselves this morning. Do we know what the apostolic teaching is? It's found in the New Testament. Do we know our Bibles? Let me me just ask you a question. Can you say I'm with Paul? When you have questions about the, the Christian life, uh, does your thinking immediately go to what, what do these men say? What does, what does my Bible say? Do I know it? Have, have I ever read? Maybe this is a good question we need to ask. Have I ever read Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, the four gospels? Really one gospel, but according to four men. Have I ever read the the history of the church in Acts or have I ever read the epistles of Paul and so on? So we see his authority isn't only from God, but it's been attested to by the church, the brothers who are with him. And there's this assumed authority in the fact that he can even talk to these churches. I mean, who, who would dare to write an epistle like this to any church with this kind of authority? So when he's writing to them, there's this assumed authority that he has the right to speak into their lives. Why? He's been commissioned by God. And that's why it says not only to all the brothers who are with me, but it says to the churches in Galatia. He cares about them as a father cares, a spiritual father. He's concerned about their spiritual well-being, how they're doing. He, he's worried about the fact that they have been straying from the gospel that he so painstakingly taught them. The gospel that they learned, the gospel that they received, it was the gospel, the power of the gospel that saved them. And now they're straying. And so he does have this authority. Notice what he says in verse 3. He has this divine Message or pronouncement that he says to them, he gives over them. He says, Grace to you. By the way, this can, what does that mean, grace to you? You know, we say, we say grace to somebody. What, you know, is that like well wishes? I read one commentary where they said that this was just kind of well wishing to somebody, you know, grace, grace to you. But it's more than that. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. I mean, is he just kind of like saying, hello, how are you? Peas and carrots, whatever. God bless you. No, no, there's, there's there's a message here. And he has been divinely commissioned to give it. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to know that he has a message for them right off the bat. God has a message for them. It's a message of grace. In other words, he's saying, before we get into all the legalism and all the law, I want you to know that God deals with you according to grace grace. He's establishing everything right here in these first words. What does it mean to have a relationship of grace? Well, it means that God does not deal with us according to our sins. And to have any understanding of what grace even means in our life, that God doesn't deal with me, mean, he could deal with me according to my sins, but he doesn't. We first need to understand the depth of our sins so that we get to a place where we say, God, we recognize, we recognize that we're a sinner. We recognize our sins before you, that they've they've been heaped up to the heavens before you. And so we get to the we get to the place in in our life where we see sin. If we never see sin in our life, then we'll never understand the grace of God. Let me give you just. Picture of this real quick. You could say, it's all about grace, and we say, yes, amen, it's about grace. It's about the grace of God. Say, yes, I know it's about the grace. It's all about God's grace in my life. Yes, amazing grace. But imagine you're in prison for murder. And as you're sitting there, Paying the due penalty for your sin. Somebody comes in and says, you've been pardoned. Can you imagine the feeling of that man walking out of that jail cell? That's what grace is. The fact that God does. You say, but the man was a sinner. That's what grace is in our life. Grace deals with us not according to our sins. We'd be going, I'm out of here. I can't believe it. So you see this man, pretend he's in jail and he's committed mass murders. Society is against him. And as he is paying the penalty of his sin, he's weeping. He's asking God for forgiveness. All of a sudden, the edict comes down. You've been set free. You say, well, that's different in our society. Of course, people need to pay the just do, the just consequences of their sin, and that's absolutely true. But I want us to understand here that when we're talking about grace, until we've ever seen that we've actually been set free, that we were sinners and lost in darkness, if we've never seen ourselves as that, grace won't mean anything. I could preach about grace all day. You're saved by grace. Praise the Lord for grace. But when it gets to the point in our life where we see what grace has done, then we begin to sing Amazing Grace. Newton, that man who was a slave trader, who wrote Amazing Grace, he began to see his sin, how wicked his sins were. He said, God, forgive me. God forgave him, set him free. Are you free that the Lord saved you and set you free from your sins? Oh, I'm so thankful. Praise the Lord. Psalm 103, chapter 10. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. (coughs) Verse 10. It says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins. That's grace. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The last thing he says, I'm going to close with this, is God is not at war with us, He's not fighting us. The, the war is over. So there was a war between us and God. We were fighting against God. God was against us. The wrath of God ho- hovered over us. And so Paul comes along and he says, I have a message for you. This is from God. That's what this verse says. And here's the message, grace to you and peace the lord is not at war with you he's your he's your friend he's on your side these are these are comforting words as we as we hear them from the apostle would you bow your heads with me as we close with a word of prayer father i pray that as we begin to journey through this this book that we would hear you clearly that we would hear the apostles' teaching and we would receive it, O Lord. Lord, I I ask you for a divine intervention in our church, that God, as we're hearing your word, we would say these aren't just the words of of Paul, but these these are the words of God speaking to us. Commissioned by God. Speak to us, we pray. Speak to us, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like to ask a question as you're seated here with every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'd I'd like to call up anybody who needs prayer. And perhaps you've been seated here and... um, Maybe even as we're going through this text, you're saying, well, I've been hearing it and God's been speaking to me. But even God's dealing with me on something even unrelated. Perhaps it's something that you came in with. And you're saying, I need I need prayer today. I need prayer. Would you pray for me? Would you have others come and pray over me? And we don't want to just rush out of this meeting, out of this service without hearing from God. We've heard his word, and now we need to minister to one another. It might be a physical uh, difficulty that you're dealing with. It might be something totally unrelated, a spiritual uh, issue. But if you need prayer, if you just simply raise your hand, you say, I need prayer. Is there anybody who needs prayer? Anyone else? Two, anyone else? You need prayer? Three, four? Okay, if you've raised your hand, would you please come up? Come on up. The Lord is here. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? It's not too late. It's not too late. The Spirit of God is here. If you could just line up and just face me right in front of here. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Your mind has been far away even during the service. And the Lord is dealing with you today, bringing you comfort and power. Thank you, Jesus. If I could ask Pastor Strope and Pastor Morgantini, if you'd please come up too, if I could ask you gentlemen to just pray over people, and we're going to anoint with oil. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Just say, "I I need prayer. I need prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.